Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. My guest today on the A-Game Podcast is Sam Prim, a.k.a. Sam Faster Freedom on social media. This guy is an absolute stud. He's got over $46 million in assets. He does over 300 deals a year between wholesaling and flipping. He's bought all those rental properties with little to none of his own money out of pocket. He's done it all right in his own backyard. He's also got an education company now where he's got over a thousand students that have done, I think he said 200 million in real estate in under 18 months. So whatever he does, this is a gentleman who definitely brings his A game to everything he does. And as I found out, we were in some masterminds together, which is kind of cool. So I'll be seeing him again soon. But on top of all that, I didn't even realize what a profound and massive following he had on social media. I think he just said he hit 2.6 million followers or something like that. So you would never know it because he's just such a humble guy. So I really like the relatability. I connected with him just because I thought his real estate content was outstanding, and I didn't even realize what a big following he had. Sometimes I check the stuff, sometimes I don't, but must have just slipped through the cracks, but I, I've been following him for a while, and he's just been cool and responsive, and I think maybe I assume because he was so responsive that maybe he didn't have the – I don't know. I don't know, but either way, but awesome that he did that, and he came on because obviously he doesn't need this podcast for his platform, and it was really cool that he came on, and he shared his story, and he really just – he's the average guy who – Came in, worked the nine to five, worked himself out of it through tenacity, failing, hard work, mentorship, goals, community, all the stuff we talk about every episode. You know, he lives it and breathes it and just didn't quit. So he gives you a lot of really good information for building up a portfolio, quitting your job, surrounding yourself with the right people, getting in the right mindset there, tactical stuff for how to get funding for your deals, how to get out of your deals, how to make sure you strategically position your buying and your refinancing or selling based on what's happening in the market. He talked a little bit about his areas, talks about his social media, how to put yourself out there on social media, how to get over some of the fear of criticism on social media, lessons he learned from a billionaire. So uh, awesome episode. And the guy talks real fast. So you might have to listen to it a couple of times, but uh, I thought he did great. And I, and I really like talking to him and he goes at my pace. So I easily could have knocked out a couple more pages of notes and questions, but really appreciate it. I had a really good time talking to him. That was a great way to start my day out here today. So looking forward to hanging out with you, sir, uh, pretty soon in Tampa in a couple of weeks. But while you guys are checking them out, check out the show notes. Definitely connect with them on social media. Give that fine gentleman a follow. Connect with them if you're interested in any mentorship type stuff. And while you're there, the fee for having these amazing guests come on to this podcast is just please subscribe to the podcast. It is available everywhere you get your podcast. If you go to Nick, Nick, Nick dot com slash links l-i-n-k-s it will have a direct link to all those places that you listen to watch your podcast otherwise just search for it maybe under nick lamagna or under the game podcast again if you can't find it the direct links are on my uh, link page but it's everywhere you watch everywhere you listen please subscribe if you have a couple of minutes leave a review but more importantly i want to do real estate together my Direct number to text me is 516-540-5733, 516-540-5733. If you want to buy properties from me, if you want to sell properties to me, or if you want to figure out a way that we maybe we can partner on some level, please shoot me a message. If you're on social media, just DM me, but do the word real estate, preferably on Instagram. That's where I check the most, but put the word real estate in there so my assistant knows to pull that out and send it to me because it is about real estate. And if you like a free checklist on how to bring more value to your buyers, whether you're a real estate broker or a wholesaler, go to nicknicknick.com slash bigger 
pocket. So follow Sam, connect with the A-Game Podcast, connect with myself. Let's do some real estate. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for listening. Please continue to interact when I post clips from this show the way that Sam knows to spread the word that he got on a good podcast and some people enjoyed what he came on and he shared is by you guys interacting, sharing, posting, tagging your friend on social media. It really, really goes a long way. NickNickNick.com slash links. You will find me on every single social media platform. So thank you. Thank you, Sam. Have a great day. A-Game Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. All right, my guest today is the son of an engineer fighting out of St. Louis, Missouri, who became a business owner and an entrepreneur and went from part-time to full-time real estate investor in just under five years. He is now an educator who teaches people to do the same, and he has obtained an incredible track record of over $45 million in rentals. He's flipped well over 1,000 properties, and unfortunately, he is no longer a well-kept secret as he amassed over 2.6 million followers on social media, gets an astounding 6 to 10 million views a month on his social platforms, only to be outperformed by over 300 transactions a year. Then he and his partners close through flips and wholesales, with running a business of over three different businesses with over 30 employees from property management to flipping houses and now educating investors through his Faster Freedom program. He is a proud and appreciative father, a husband, and our guest today. Please welcome to the A-Game Podcast, Sam Prim. Thank you for being here, sir. I appreciate you having me on, Nick. And honestly, that was one of the better intros uh, I've had. You rolled right through that one take, Jake. For those listening, <laughs> no editing went. He went right through that. I don't like to... Uh, don't like all the, uh, even though I'm on social media all the freaking time, I don't always love the attention pointed at me. So I'm glad that's over, but thank you for that. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be on. Well, it is, it is a very impressive resume, sir. I could have, I could have made it more awkward and kept going because you have a whole lot of really good accolades there. But for people who maybe are living under a rock and don't know who you are yet, can you give a 30,000 foot view of who you are and where you came from? Yep. So you mentioned it earlier uh, from St. Louis, or you might've mentioned that, but from St. Louis, um, grew up super normal, right? Uh, I used to shy away from that. We kind of joked a little bit uh, before we went on. I don't have like that rags to riches story. My buddy calling on social media group in, in a mud hut. I don't have, you know, Ryan Pineda, Filipino Ken doll looks, right? Like I'm just like super normal from the Midwest, which I used to kind of shy away from because they're not going to write a movie about my childhood and upbringing. But the cool thing about that is I started to lean into I'm really normal. And by definition of normal, most people listening are normal. And guess what? I've done some pretty cool shit for being just a normal dude. So I think it should be encouraging to people. So now I lean into that normal guy story. And, you know, I've been able to kind of do what you mentioned, go from a full-time job to a side hustle of real estate to a full-time hustle real estate to financially free, you know, did that in about in about five years, as you mentioned. And now um, my goals and dreams and aspirations are off the charts. NBA team, billion dollars in real estate, lots of big, big goals I'm pushing towards. So um, started, I wouldn't say from the bottom now we're here, but we started, you know, lower middle class and now we're here. So excited to hopefully shed some light for the other normal people out there listening that they uh, they can do it as well. That's incredible, man. And I, I love the relatability. I think it's awesome. You know, unfortunately, I think you're a very special case because I tell a lot of the people that those success stories you hear, unfortunately, a lot of them come from that that old hero's journey of like, my whole family left me and I was living in a car. I got diagnosed with this terrible disease or like everybody has this like rock bottom and then they do something different. And I think you're a unique case where you were in somewhat of a comfortable place, but just knew you wanted more and started to work yourself out of there, which I feel like most people don't get into that spot until they're super uncomfortable. So what, what was it that you think made your story a little bit different? I don't know. I think a couple things, actually. I think growing up uh, playing competitive sports and being a very, very competitive individual and, you know, always wanting to win and, and push and wanting more. 
graduated college and that was kind of gone, right? You know, the normal job, I was in sales for a little bit, but that pushing yourself, that teamwork, that environment, when you're corporate America, as, as much as the company I worked for was fine, they didn't have that, right? So I went to kind of search for that a little bit. And then I think there's probably some type of uh, diagnosable psychosis or something. I feel like I'm kind of a psychopath. Uh, I mean, I don't know anything about social media and I have 2.6 million followers just because I do as much as I can to get better. Like it's, uh, it's an advantage for me to spend more time getting better, uh, commenting, liking, responding to D like it, it's an advantage for me to work hard and I'm not afraid to do that. So I think just the mixture of getting that competitive spirit in there, uh, the mixture of seeing some immediate success and getting addicted to that. And then the last part about it is seeing the impact that it has on my family, on all 47 employees now on, um, the community, on the 600,000 we've raised for our nonprofit. We started, we donate percentage of our profit every month too. So just, you know, it started kind of selfishly, I'll say, right. To make more money, but then, uh, relatively quickly within four or five years, I started to see the impact of my hard work and effort on other people. And the minute I started to see that and embrace that, man, that's addicting. That's more addicting than uh, having a fun gummy. That's more addicting than, you know, drinking, drinking alcohol. That's more addicting than winning a sports game. When you impact other people's lives and people are multimillionaires or millionaires because of the impact you've given them, uh, there's not a lot better than that. And, and the minute I started chasing that was the minute I started to make more money, you know, than, than I ever thought possible. Um, when I was chasing the money, it was good and that was fine and I made it. But the minute I shifted uh, and focused on impact was the minute the money started to come in. So I think uh, a, a whole hodgepodge of all of that is, is the reason. I don't know if that if that makes sense or not. Yeah, yeah, it makes total sense, man. A lot of different directions we can go on there. One of the things that you touched on, I, I think is an interesting backstory because I'm always fascinated when somebody comes from a background that's, that's very basic like you, as far as like you didn't come from millionaires or entrepreneurs, you know, teacher and an engineer, you know, people tend to go down the same paths as their parents. So I think when you have a background like that, to look back and say, I'm going to get into real estate, I understand that. But then to say, I'm going to quit my job in the next three years. What was your mindset when you first started to invest? Was that the plan that you thought you were going to be able to get out of your W-2 that fast? And when you finally made that decision, what was your friends and family's reaction to you quitting? Because it sounds crazy to other people because that's the safety net, which, as we know, it really isn't. But Yeah, no, I'll, I'll work my way backwards. Yeah, everybody thought I was crazy. Uh, my, my friends, my family, um, I think my dad passive aggressively told my mom that, you know, I'd be living in their basement uh, one day. Cause I was, I was making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. Um, you know, I was pretty good at my job in sales and then sales management and, and I had a, a cush cush job here in St. Louis, 250 grand is a lot of money. It's a lot of money anywhere. Um, so I had a good job, which honestly made it more of a risk. Cause there's a lot more $50,000 jobs than $250,000 jobs. So, um, you know, th that was part of it. And I worked my way up to that. I don't want people to think I graduated college on that. My first year <laughs> of graduate college, I made 17 grand. So I worked my way up in the company. But anyways, um, so to kind of go backwards to that, um, no, uh, my everything I do is with a business partner, Lucas, he's a, a middle school, high school, college buddy, best friend kind of thing. And uh, we set a goal in 2013 or 14, right when we got started, we got started in the middle of 2014. But we set goals before that. And that was to buy one house a year for 10 years. So at the end of 10 years, we don't 10 rental properties to start to pay them down and retire a little bit earlier. So those were our original goals, which may seem small looking at what I've done recently, but it was huge at the time, right? I don't think I knew anybody that had 10 rentals. I remember one of Lucas's uh, dad's buddies 
had like 25 rentals were like, that's the richest guy we know. Like, you know, so we, I didn't, I didn't come from like these aspirations to own a freaking NBA team came from, I thought <laughs> I'd work for one company until I was 60. Right. Uh, but anyways, yeah, it just kind of started to snowball and you see the wins and you're doing it with your friends and your buddies. And um, it just, it just really started to turn into something that I had no idea that I would be doing then, or I'd be making TikTok videos, walking down the stairs with one shoe on. I had no idea that that'd be my life, but it is what it is. That's amazing, man. So the goal setting, I think, is important. I had my my buddy UFC fighter, Ally Aquinta, and he was on, and he was talking about how he he took from athletes because I, I always tell everybody some of the most successful people I see transition into this business come from backgrounds of military, law enforcement, athletics, and engineering. So athletes tend to take that discipline and competitive edge and do really well. But he was talking about how his dad was a wrestling coach, and they passed down like they would write down their goals every day. And he said the only goals he's never achieved are the ones that he never actually wrote down. So starting out today, you know, even myself after this long, I'm, I'm guilty of it. Like I always have these goals, but I'll write them like on my phone and my notes or I'll put them on a whiteboard and they're just scattered kind of all over the place. And I think maybe that's part of the white reason like you forget about them, you never hit them. But what was that? Because I've heard you reference it enough times now that it seems like you have a pretty defined way to track and obtain and push your goals and put your visions out there? Yeah. So we, that's a great question. So we started pretty loosey goosey with that was our goal. And then after a while, I think our next big goal was quitting our jobs. And we tried to do that with rental income, which we can get into that spiel, how freaking stupid that was. Um, but then, uh, you know, I, then it was 25 million real estate by 2025. And then, you know, you know, so we were crushing our goals. So then we started to set unreasonable goals is kind of what we call it. And I have my vision right here. Um, I said on 51523. So it's right here um, next to my office. And then there's um, on the bathroom next to my uh, next to, you know, or on the mirror next to my bathroom where I, you know, you know, see before and, you know, getting up and going to bed every night. So I look at my goals. I got, I think, eight or nine of them right there. Um, some big, some small, some monetary, a lot not um, that I look at all the time. And it's one of those things where I used to be a non-mindset guy, like mindset, stupid, that woo-woo stuff. Like I'll just roll up my sleeves out work. Yeah, I'll get there. I don't need to worry about all that. So I'm, I'm kind of a hybrid now. I'm not like a morning routine guy um, where you got to do affirmations and meditate and, and script out and write things and do all that. You know, I just hit the ground running, but then I also truly believe in the mindset of abundance and um, you know, what the, the value of that really brings to myself and the world. So I'm kind of a hybrid of a woo-woo hippie guy and, and, and a hardworking guy. And I think that's a, a good place to be. I'm, feel like I'm finally kind of truly who I should be and having a little bit of mixture of both. So um, we started to get really honed in on setting goals when, when we quit our job and, and started and, and grew these companies. And we said, here's our five-year target, be the top five real estate investing brand in the country in the next five years. And then it was, all right, with the next three years, we need to be doing this, this, and this. All right. In the next year, this is where we need to be. Let's break it down by quarter, by month, by week day so we just completely backed into where we wanted to go and the the long-term target isn't something that is you know we know how we're going to get there right the target is just a one sentence statement so anyways that's kind of how we've hybrided the books we've read and the things we've done and um and we've done it and then i have like my personal ones that i look at all the time that's awesome man i, I love that so backtracking now what you said so you're five you're in there you're you're deciding that you want to get out or get out of the nine to five you want to get back into real estate full-time so I know you were, had a good salary. What was the emotional part of that like 
pulling away and giving that up. And I know, I, th I think I heard you said that you actually had to take a pay cut for a couple of years, right? Until you really got things up and running. So talk about the transition for somebody that's now getting out of the nine to five and going full-time into real estate. What does that first year look like? So a lot of just, you know, running around with your head cut off. And for me, it was, it was honestly, it was, it was, there was like a fear there. So, so Lucas had a job that was a fine paying job, but he was an engineer. He had quit his job before I did. And the fear of being not left behind, because, you know, we were going to be 50, 50 owners. I was going to be able to do my, but the fear of not holding my own weight, having him spend all his time doing it. And the fear of missing out on opportunities and not being there for the journey was what ultimately pushed me because I was, I was, I was kind of torn, right? Good job. It provided me some freedom financially. It was good. Um, everybody was telling me I was crazy for doing it. <laughs> and uh, so I, I was, you know, I wasn't really nervous about leaving the job. It was more about if I stayed, what would happen? So it was almost the opposite fear, right? It's not like fear of losing my uh, confidence in myself. So I knew I'd figure it out, but it wasn't like fear and, oh my gosh, I'm leaving this job. It's fear. Like what happens if I don't kind of thing. So that was more of it than anything else. And then my situation is a little unique. Here's where we start to get a little unique. Everything else uh, up to this point has been boring and normal that I've done. <laughs> but um, my situation is a little unique because Lucas and I at the time, we were probably flipping 25 houses a year, wholesaling and flipping um, on the side with full-time jobs. And we partnered with a local real estate investor that was doing about 100 a year. So we kind of joined a partnership to combine our companies. Our, his was obviously much bigger. Ours was smaller. And that was kind of the the base that I needed. Uh, the little bit of like, hey, there's a company that's established. We got a little bit, uh, you know, guys 15 years older has been doing it to kind of be our mentor, help us grow businesses, learn about culture. So that was kind of the, the final straw that was like, all right, I'm not just quitting and trying to flip more. No, there's some already systems and processes and relationships in place that we can all lean on together and grow. And that's what we did for a couple of years. And then we ended up, um, you know, go, going out on our own and, and you know, uh, just having it be me and Lucas. But there for those first two or three years after I quit, uh, having a mentor slash business partner be um, be there with you was was pivotal. I love that, man. I, I agree 100%. Just having those people around you to help you on the tough days or in the confusing days. It's it's incredible when you sit there and you're you're stuck on something. And you just figure like, nobody's ever gone through this before. What do I do? And it's like a 13 second text message that they're like, no, nah, I've been through this like 10 times. Like this is just, this is easy. So that, that stuff helps a lot. But so now positioning that you would assume that when people, I think, think about retirement from real estate, they assume that that means that they have enough passive income that they can just go travel the world and their rental income is paying for every wild dream that they've ever had. And obviously I've heard you talk a little bit about how it's not really the way it works. So talk a little bit about that because I thought it was a refreshing take on the reality of building up that passive income for retirement. Yeah, no, great. It, it, it's not passive really ever. Um, maybe a little bit more so if you're really looking to scale, but if you're going to be a solopreneur or you know wanting to do 50 or less, it's never really going to be passive. You're always going to have to be involved somewhat. And, you know, I think you're kind of alluding to the the dream that a lot of people have. I'm not going to say most people because I don't want to be mean, but a lot of people think you buy these rentals and then they fund your trips. You're sitting on the beach, you're on vacation, you're retiring at 35 because you have rentals coming in. The, the truth of the matter is nobody that has that goal actually achieves that. The people that achieve that are the people that have higher aspirations. They have higher goals. They want financial freedom. They want generational impact. They want to keep growing and scaling. Those are the people that reach the point where they could sit on the beach. Like I could go do that. I don't know that I could, you know, travel 365 days a year with, with what I'm making, but I could do a lot of really cool stuff and not work anymore. But 
I'm not even thinking about that. You know, I'll always be doing something to, to, to keep growing. I like the competitive drive. I like the challenge, the growth, the issues, the overcoming, the impact, all the stuff I talked about. So the people that's like, I want to buy rentals so I can sit on the beach and drink my ties. Never will do that. Not trying to be mean. And I hate people that talk in absolutes. That's one of my biggest pet peeves that people talk in absolutes, but I don't know one person, let's put it that way, that, that does that. It's the people that actually reach that point are the people that want more. So you need bigger goals and dreams and aspirations, I think is kind of what you're alluding to. And and I, um, you know, came to that realization that, you know, the people that want to work to, to relax don't ever really get there. You know, it's interesting because I say everybody, entrepreneurs are like fighters in the sense that when they first come out there, I go, I know what you think you want is to retire and sit on the beach. But people that are entrepreneurs, athletes, like A-type personalities, that's fun for like a week or two. But like most of us can't even on a regular week vacation not work on some level. You know what I mean? Like we're always doing something. So that should never be the goal. I think as much as like that sounds like a nice fantasy, I don't think that true entrepreneurs would actually be happy just sitting on the beach doing nothing. But even so, even if financially you could, I love the way that you had a nice recipe mix of active income and passive income because I feel like that's really what makes that attainable is you got to get those systems going, especially when you've made it into a business that somewhat runs on itself to a point that you can stack that active income and have the discipline to put into passive income. I feel like that's where the real independence comes from. Yeah, for sure. That was, that was our mistake that I alluded to a little bit earlier was we were trying to basically replace Lucas's $75,000 a year salary with $250, $300 a month net cash flows from rentals. Like, goodness gracious, that's going to take forever. And that's irresponsible to do it anyway, because you need that money because stuff goes wrong. It's never, that's what it is on paper, but it's never that in real life. You have, once you get to a certain point, you have, you know, CPA fees and office rent and all the stuff that you don't factor into your formula of that $250 a month that you think you're going to get when you buy it, how we buy it with none of our own money. So obviously you can cash flow more than that if you're putting money in the deal. But yeah, so that was our original goal was that. And we were getting in there and we were buying a lot of rentals and it just wasn't even coming close. And we started to realize, no, we need the mixture of active and passive income. So let's go hard into flipping and wholesaling because guess what? That's you find a distressed property and then we can keep it as a rental, flip it or wholesale it. So it's in the right lane. It's just a different extra strategy. So, strategy, so we're not completely starting something new and different in it. it they, they kind of help each other. Our three companies all stand on their own, but they all you know have somewhat interlocking you know uh, goals. So yeah, I think that's a great point. You need active and passive income to truly be financially free and to truly create wealth and, and quit your job if that is indeed your goal. So is your marketing method somewhat, I know I'm, I'm leaning more through this a lot now, but like my buddy, Mark Evans, a lot of guys say, what they'll do is they basically cherry pick the best deals that come in and then they wholesale the rest of the deals that come in. Is that a little bit about what you're doing as you're kind of going through things and figuring out like, these are the ones that really hit our buy box that we want and anything that doesn't, we're using those same marketing channels to wholesale those, to fund the marketing for, you know what I mean? Just kind of keeping that going or is it just two completely different arms uh they're pretty much completely different so we have you know our flipping company which when i say flipping i mean wholesaling and and wholetailing and and actually fixing and flipping we're just flipping the house right so you know that's our biggest company it's probably 23 24 uh, team members at this point and six full-time buyers spending money on marketing you know training them to go out there a, a marketing arm uh you know a contract to close uh you know all, all the things that make up a company of that size and that company stands on its own. And Lucas and I will 
pick off rentals from that. Um, we still do the single family stuff, you know, a couple of month kind of thing that will keep his rentals. that makes sense. But our team is adding to, to their rental portfolio as well. Like our, our construction manager who manages all of our rehabs, he's got 41 rentals. Cool. And then, you know, our, our, our team has almost 500 rentals between us. Obviously we're a majority of, but them. So we have, we have, a majority of the team members that are doing a flip on the side, faster house, our flipping company buys a house. We reasonably mark it up and sell it to them. They go ahead and rehab it, probably use our crews and they can make an extra 50 grand rehabbing it, or they keep it as rental. So we encourage our employees and we, we lend them money to grow their own rentals and do their own flips on the side. So we are not a, we're your only income type of company. We want you to have side hustles. We want everybody on our team to be millionaires, um, you know, now or later. And you can only do that by having that mindset of abundance. And we don't steal every single rental that makes sense. We let some fall through the cracks of the other people. And, um, you know, we, we do some flips, but you know, we're working on 12 flips right now, but that costs money to buy them, close them, fund them, rehab them, all of that crap. So we, we're not going to rehab, you know, 150 houses a year. We're trying to rehab 50 houses a year. So um, kind of long-winded answer, but yeah, there, there's kind of a, a mixture there of how we do it. We treat them separately. And then, you know, our rental company will buy from our flipping company and, and mark it up, but uh, they, they do act on their own. So th there is some intertwining. That's awesome, man. I love that. And congrats. That's amazing. That testimonial of a team acquiring that type of assets. That's really cool, man. I love that. So for you now, what is your, in this day and age, we're talking, you know, Q4 2023, what is your buy box that makes a good rental property for you right now? And talk a little bit about how you acquire them with little to no money down. Yeah. So everything is in St. Louis. We don't do anything out of the area. You know, the 300 houses a year, 250 houses a year, the the 46 million in real estate, that's all here in St. Louis. And, um, you know, you don't need to go to different cities and markets to buy a lot of rentals. I'm, I was on a plane the other day and we were flying and I looked down and I was like, our $46 million of real estate is like those three blocks worth of, you know, real <laughs> estate, you know, in St. Louis. So it's, it's nothing. Like, I know it sounds like a lot, but it's nothing. So um, you don't have to, you know, spread markets. So everything's in St. Louis. I, I guess we we did just buy a hotel in Branson, Missouri, which is about four hours away. It's a, like a touristy destination too, that we're turning into like a high-end boutique Airbnb thing. So one thing out of out of city or out of city, but um, everything else is in the city of of St. Louis. So if it makes sense, if there's enough equity in there and it's going to positively cash flow, which is a little bit harder to do with today's interest rates, then us or somebody on the team will probably keep it as a rental. But things have shifted a lot, and and St. Louis is probably on the lower end of how much things have shifted. Last couple of years, we sixty percent of our houses we sell to landlords. Now sixty percent of our houses we sell to fixer fix and flippers. So it's just harder to cash flow. So if there's equity there, and if it'll cash flow, it'll probably get kept by us or somebody on the team. And if not, then you know we'll wholesale it or, or fix and flip it ourselves. So that's the criteria. It's not like a set you know, 10%, 12% IRR or cap rate or anything like that. It's just basically on equity and cash flow. So the the thing I find interesting there is when you're talking about, I, I a lot of your strategy is Burr, right? You're, you're buying it with private money and some hard money and then you're refinancing everything, it out? Yep, everything, yep. Okay. So what are you doing as far as parameters there? Because I know with the interest rates going up, some people didn't account for that. They got hurt a little bit or some of the banks, if they don't have relationships like you probably do at this point, they're not sure like the LTVs change, the interest rates change, what they have to put. So all that kind of stuff affects it on the burst side. I know the last time the market turned in 2008, I was doing a lot of burrs and all of a sudden, like in the middle of the renovations, the banks were like, we're just not doing cash outs anymore. And then we're not even doing rate and terms anymore. And it was tough. So how are you hedging against any sort of market correction on the lender side for the exit on the refi? Yeah. So 
Fortunately, you know, we're, we're doing just a couple at a time. So if that does happen, we can swallow the pill, sell it, do whatever, and, you know, break even, make a little bit of money. There's equity there or even lose a little bit. It's not the end of the world. But I, I completely get what you're going at. And how we've done that is growing and scaled quickly with equity. You know, we have 46 million in real estate, but we have, you know, 24, $25 million in debt. So a lot of debt, but shit, man, there's 20 million in equity there. So that <laughs> gives us a lot of room to play with, to refinance, to pull from. And we got lucky. I'm going to say mostly luck, but some smarts there. We refinanced our entire portfolio um, a couple of years ago. And like you said, there's those, you know, those arms and all that kind of stuff with, with commercial loans. We got locked in for 10 years at 395 over 30 years AM at, at 10. So we're 90. 6% of our portfolio is locked in for the next eight years at, you know, three, nine, five. So that was just gave us so much security and, you know, a, a good, a good feeling that, uh, you know, we, we have a, a decent base. We're not going to have to refinance our, you know, 3.8 rate to 7.8, you know, next year or something like that and negatively cash flow on a ton of houses. So that was lucky and fortunate, whatever you want to call it. So that that's been a huge backbone for us. So the equity, um, the fact that we're not trying to, you know, do 10 burrs a month and get over leveraged. And then, you know, the, the terms that we're able to get make us feel decently safe about what we're doing, as well as, you know, multiple streams of income that really help with that. Because our flipping companies got kicked in the teeth, you know, six of the last 12 months. And uh, fortunately, our rentals and our education company have floated the boat for us. So it's just kind of one of those things where just try to be agile and, and you know, not get too over leveraged in whatever company we're doing or starting. That's awesome, man. What a great decision to refinance those at those rates, man. Everybody, if you only had that crystal ball to go back and do that, right? It's, 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 that's amazing, man. Good for you. Good for you. That's awesome. So I heard you mention something else that I tell people a lot that I don't hear enough people talk about, but you were talking about how the banks lend on a loan to value and people confuse that with the facts that they want that cash down. And that's not necessarily the truth. So obviously there's a couple of different ways you can create that equity or that safety in the deal for the bank. So talk a little bit about that and how you can do that different ways. Cause I think people that are newer, they only think like, well, you got, even if you're getting at 50 cents on the dollar, they still think you have to put 20% down. Obviously it's not true. Yeah, for sure. So banks just, they don't want to be landlords. They want to lend you money, especially these small local banks. They survive. They make a paycheck for their employees, their owners, their stakeholders. They they are profitable because they mainly because they lend to real estate investors. They don't do enough volume in residential loans and to sell it to the secondary market to make a profit. They don't have enough depository accounts to make a profit. They are profitable majority of the time by lending to small business owners on businesses and on real estate. And real estate's their favorite because it's a great asset and they know the market because they're local. So all that to say, yeah, they don't want to take the property back. They don't care about your cash. They're going to go and leverage that and, you know, mark it up a little bit and fractionalize and bank it, but they just want that equity. They don't want to take that property back. So if you're able to bring them something fixed up and rented at 80 cents on the dollar, they will gladly give you a loan for a hundred percent of what you have in the property. And even more sometimes, a lot of the times, even more. So they just want that 20% equity. You can do it with cash if you have it hard to scale that way right but or you can do it with a little bit of creative financing some private lenders and some equity built on a distressed property so um yeah it's, it's basically just bringing them a asset with 20 percent equity that's fixed up already they want it to be fixed up so you can either put 20 percent down or have 20 percent equity built in through the burrs method and they'll they'll do it they'll do it again they'll fight over your money they'll lower their rates they'll mm -hmm. try to keep, they, they, they want your business that's how they stay in business if you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate sooner, whether you're beginner, intermediate, or advanced, 
any way you're looking to get in on residential, commercial, land development, wholesaling, fix and flips, whatever it is, let's find a way to get you involved in some projects, get you some properties, whether you want to sell some properties to me, whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fix and flip, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for, let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. Go to www.nicknicknick.com, go on the consultation tab and figure out how to schedule an appointment to talk about where you fit in if you are not sure, or you can just reach out to me on any of my social media channels. If you go on www.nicknicknick.com slash links, you will see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together make it happen. Everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner. Best time to start is today. I love that, man. That's, that's such great information there. Uh, especially I just had a guy and that was uh he's a pretty big deal on like the connecting the banks and the credit unions and things like that. And he was talking about how much leverage that they actually have to really make their own decisions on, on each of the deals rather than like the big banks. And it was pretty incredible. It was pretty eye-opening to watch like how they're actually, they're almost like a community literally of people that can be like, I have 7,000 in my network and somebody's willing to do something at some point. And like you said, they don't have to resell it. So they're kind of using their own money. It was, it was pretty interesting. Like I've, people always tell me like small banks and credit unions, and I know that they're more flexible, but I never really saw behind the curtain of why. So that was, that's pretty interesting. So that's awesome information there. I appreciate you sharing that, sir. Yeah, they can. I mean, you, you probably know more than I do. You know, I, I have the owners of the bank's numbers in here, which is pretty cool. But talking to that <laughs> gentleman that explained it, but they can do whatever they want to a certain degree. There's no regulations. There's no there's no, um, you know, Fannie Freddie coming in and, and scrutinizing their loans. They have to, you know, you know, abide by some rules and laws. But I mean, we've cashed out millions of dollars with, you know, out of a portfolio. I always tell this story here real quickly, not to take it off the rails, but these small <laughs> local banks. We were doing our first cash out refinance, pulling out 880 grand of of, of tax-free money because we had built up equity, getting better terms, all those things with the chunk of our portfolio. That was January of 2020. And we were in the process. And then what happened March of 2020? COVID. And nobody knew what was happening. Everything was going crazy. Some banks were tightening. Things were happening. But in, in April of 2020, during the middle of the beginning of COVID, when nobody knew what was happening, our bank wrote us an $880,000 check, performed on the note, didn't blink an eye. Like they can do whatever they want to a certain degree. You just have to develop that relationship and continue to communicate with them, be a good business owner, um, you know, and, and, you know, provide them good quality assets and they can, they can kind of do whatever they want. That's pretty awesome, man. So switching a little bit now more towards the social media side of stuff, first off, in, incredible with the amount of stuff that you have as far as followers and and views and all that kind of stuff. But you touched on something earlier that I think people might think is funny. As you said, I don't really like being the center of attention, which the assumption is you're out there, you're doing this stuff, you're creating a brand, you have millions of people following on social media. You must love attention. Like you must love looking at yourself and listening to yourself. And as a podcast host, I hate that side of it. So I know it, it becomes one of those things that it's just part of the evil of what we have to do in the business. So talk a little bit about that because- I think everybody wants to be where you are, but they don't want to put themselves out there and risk being criticized because there's a lot of shitty people out there that say shitty things on social media. But at the end of the day, how do you get over the fear of really getting yourself out there if you want to be successful building a brand out there today on social media? Yeah, it's one of those things. It's an interesting thing. I like what 
social media does and the effects of it, but uh, you know, the exactly, you know, having a camera in my face all the time and always be recording and editing and checking back on things and reading comments and DMS that I hope your family gets cancer for Christmas, literally, and things like that. It's just, um, you know, you got to just have perspective and it is tough. I listen to people like Gary Vee that say kill them with kindness and those kind of things. And that's good in theory, but we're all human, right? I, I, I've used this example. I literally gets hundreds of positive comments and DMs, but then you get those one or two and it's like, you know what? But yeah, that are negative, but it's just one of those things where I have gotten better with time on it. It has affected me less, but for somebody that's wanting to do this, it's just one of those things where success. And I've talked to so many people that are so much more successful than I am. I've had two in-person conversations with billionaires, which has been really cool. That's completely changed my mindset, but Success really boils down to, and I don't want to sound preachy here because there's so many people that are vastly more successful than I'll ever be, but I have achieved a decent level of success and it's been so simple. It's literally doing the same thing every single day and not expecting like immediate results, just having the discipline to have that delayed gratification and one of my editors, now that I have editors, I did most of this myself, he went back and was trying to look at some ideas for content. And he's like, bro, you used to get hundreds of views for like a long time. Like you get 80 views, you get 120 views, you get 45 views, you get 2000 views, like you'd for a long time and just continuing to push through. And so many people do that and give up. They are literally on the path to that, that financial freedom or that whatever they want to get followers. They just give up because they don't have the discipline to delay that gratification. And they just, they don't understand that people that are super successful and wealthy and whatever you define as success and wealthy, that's different for everybody. They're not like smarter. They didn't usually come from more money. They just didn't give up. They just, you get knocked down, you give up or you get up and they just get up one more time. And I know there's that Denzel Washington interview, you get knocked down seven, get up eight, but that's really that simple. Like I didn't know anything about social media. I started in, in mid 2020 from my phone. And yeah, like we talked about earlier, I have 2.6 million followers. Now we got, we got 13 million views last, last month in, in August in, in on our social media It's all for free. I mean, a lot of work, but we didn't pay for any of them and all legitimate followers. And that's just because I didn't give up and I'm going to continue to not give up. So um, kind of took that one off the rails a little bit, but it's just, it's just getting yourself out there and just knowing that your story like me saying I have $46 million in real estate is cool. It's like flexi, like credibility, you know, right off the bat, but that's not as relatable to somebody that's talking about their very first rental property and how they're trying to buy it. So just because you haven't done a lot is more of the reason to go on social media. If you have a reason to do that, because people are going to relate to your struggles and trying to find your first wholesalers and getting denied by this bank and this rehab went over budget and you're there on the weekend sweating your, you know, what off trying to paint the, the ceiling and things like that. Like that's what people want to see. Um, so the fact that you don't have a ton of experience potentially is more of a reason, I think, to get involved in social media. You don't need to have millions in real estate to, to get started. It's incredible, man. It's really a, a whole different world. I, I was half joking, but we were on a plane. I think it was Woody Harrelson. Or they, there was some actor on the plane with us, and he got off the plane. And I thought like TMZ was going to swarm the person. And then all of a sudden there was this other girl that my business partner was talking to. And everybody rushed her and basically a security guard had to pull her out of the airport. And I was like, well, who's that? They're like, oh my God, you didn't know that was so-and-so. She's a YouTube star. And I was like, man, like the, the world changed where people don't actually care about the TV star anymore. They care about the social media star. And everybody has a chance to be a celebrity now. Like the, the odds of somebody getting on Cheers and becoming a movie star versus like now, like the chance of actually becoming like a successful real estate investor and having a pretty badass TikTok. 
is pretty actually achievable. Like it's it's just a really interesting time to look back on how things are. But you know, having said the same thing, there as far as going out, I think anything that you do, you have to treat like a business. And people think that they are going to turn on their phone, and in a month they're going to be Ryan Pineda, and they don't realize that that guy. His social media presence is a business. He's got like a full-time staff, like studio, all that kind of stuff. And when you're trying to compete with that stuff, you can't possibly, and I know people do, but they think they're just going to go turn on a phone, watch something on YouTube and be a social media influencer and a millionaire in real estate. And then when things get hard, they quit. And I think that's where the tenacity, the athlete mentality, you know, you lost the game, but you're going to come back next Sunday and do the same thing over and over again until you win a championship. I think that that really is rounding the whole thing that you talked about from the beginning, just not giving up and staying tenacious. I mean, that's, that's really where it comes from. Yeah. A thousand percent. And you made a couple of really good points. I want to piggyback on, um, the world is shifting. Like social media is about 10 years old. Like it's in 10 years from now, it's, it's, it's like the new thing. And that's the reason I keep doing it because just there's so much value in eyeballs and a brand. And it, it's shifting from like, you used to have to have like a sex tape and be on, on TV, like Kim Kardashian, right. To like, you know, to come up from nowhere, right. To not like be a movie star. You had to do that and have a, a virtual reality TV show or whatever they call them back in the day. Like that's what you used to have to do. Now all, all you need is a phone. And I just recently saw this. So there's a couple guys on TikTok. Um, it's a son and his and his dad, and I think they're in New York maybe, and they got a pretty big following, and and the son's girlfriend, and they do stuff, and they got a big brand. They were just I was watching the the first game of the NFL season, um, you know, Chiefs versus Lions, and one a Gillette, like a legitimate brand commercial, was the that son and his dad like doing something, and they're TikTok stars. That's that's what they are. They didn't reference TikTok though, right? It was just them. They're good looking cats, but it just like they're they're on that TV commercial and an athlete or Matthew McConaughey is not, and they started on their phone. So the, that's like the, 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 like the thing that's going to stick in my mind, because I think that's where it's shifting because somebody, and we're starting to see this with like, sorry to go on a change here, but like Jimmy Fallon just came out that he's like, apparently an asshole. Um, off like it just, just dropped like the Ellen DeGeneres thing. Like he's mean to his people and employees. And he's like, we're, right. We're cutting this interview right now. No, we don't badmouth Jimmy Fallon on this interview. He's I love Jimmy. sweetheart. <laughs> it's sad, right? But and like the Ellen DeGeneres thing of like, you know, so all these people that you think you know, right? Because they're on TV or in a movie, but they're acting. So there's no real, and there's no like real connection. You just think, you know, this person, you're going to listen to Matt Damon and Leonardo DiCaprio because they're badass dudes and actors about climate change, but they just are really good at, at pretending to be somebody. But on social media, they're seeing my story. I talked about my dogs this morning, let my dog out to pee at 530. Like they're, they know me. So like, I think when big brands start to see that, like, is if when you get to a certain point on social media, that is way more connectable and relatable than somebody who's in a movie acting. I think we're shifting to that, man. And I'm not saying like I'm on the forefront. There's people with way more social media followers than me. And a lot of these actors are social media people now, too. But we're shifting to where I think like the social media and the followers and the organic connection that you get through that via watching somebody on a hundred foot screen. I think that's where the world is shifting as far as brands go, as far as commercials go, as far as affiliates go. I think a social media and, you know, being able to see other people's lives and whatever they're doing, I think that's going to be the future of everything. Um, so that's why I continue to pour my heart on, pour my heart into this stupid freaking phone every day. So. <laughs> No, I think you nailed it, man. Like tying back to you just, we talked about how you're relatable. And I, I think that that's going to be the difference is I think at, at some point, that's what people are searching for is that person's like me. And if they did this, I can do this. And it's not as easy to relate to somebody who was a professional baseball player. Or like you said, uh, just a good looking guy that just, you know, that people want to see him everywhere or somebody that's taking pictures every day with like supermodels and Lamborghinis that probably aren't even theirs, you know? So I think you're 
key to there. And like, I've, I've listened to you before, but even like when you watch you, you're even that much more relatable. You're that average kind of guy that I think those are going to be the ones that stand the test of time more than like the flash ones. Because the people that are looking for that quick fix that want the Lamborghini, it's like you said, they're chasing the wrong thing anyway. The people that want to say, hey, I just want to be able to sit home, spend more time with my dogs. But that's going to be the thing that I think most people that want to stick in for the long term are going to be attracted to, which leading in is where you can help the average person who feels like they relate to you. Because I always tell people, obviously, the old cliche of I want to do business with people that I like, that I know, and I trust, with you having that sort of following, it's because people relate to you, and then they start to feel like they have a relationship with you, and they trust you, and they like your style, and then they have all these different choices of people to go to, and obviously, they've chosen you for a reason. So talk about now faster freedom, man. Like, How are you helping people get financial freedom fast and, and helping out with the coaching and the mentoring and help people maybe first deal, second deal, scaling up? Talk all the ways you help investors right now. Yeah, for sure. And and so I kind of was ahead. Now, I wouldn't say ahead of, um, but I was doing what Alex Hermosi so much better articulates. I was trying to purposely sound crappy there. But anyway, <laughs> I, I am not near as... Um, you know, articulate and communicative as him. And, you know, I, I got the mumbling and I slur a little bit, talk too fast, all those things that I just used to shy away from. Now it's just, he can't hear me because I talk too fast. Just keep listening. Eventually you'll get what I'm trying to say. But um, so what I do is I just uh, saying all that to say, like he says, like give everything away for free forever. And then eventually somebody will want to pay you. And that's what I've been doing. That's how I have 2.6 million followers on social media. It's not because I have a huge business plan uh, to do that. And I have it structured and have, batch editing and have the next 30 videos edited. No, I have two that need to go out tonight and tomorrow. And then I have the none. I got to keep shooting them. So very inefficient with that, but it's it's more authentic and real. And it's just up to date. I'm not recording something that's going to be, you know, six months, a, a, a TikTok or something. So I just give free information. That's how I've been able to grow it. I just tell you everything that I really know on social media. And I've been able to get good over time and trial and error at seeing what works and trying to, I can articulate something in a 30 second, you know, video, because I'll do it enough times where it's clear. I can't ramble like I can on here. So just giving as much free information as I can has been huge. Giving actionable, actionable tactical advice based on what I'm doing. Because people have been with me on my journey from 4 million in real estate to 46 million. And a lot of people message me that they've been on that journey with me. So the fact that we're doing pretty cool shit outside of social media allows me to talk about it and be authentic because it's really what we're doing outside of social media. Like you said, we're not not renting a Lamborghini or or trying to flex. My flex is my debt, right? That's kind of an interesting flex. <laughs> like that's, that's, that's my flex is how much debt I'm in. So just being authentic, being real and giving away as much free information has been the social media part. And then eventually you got enough people tapping you on the shoulder saying like, no, I want to pay you for more support. And that's where we have a, a mentorship. And we, we have 1300 students now that own over 200 million in real estate. And yeah. it's about 18 months old, the mentorship. So it's just one of those things where everybody gets in there. Like you're authentic, you're real outside of it, inside of it. You really want people to be successful. You have amazing coaches. And so it just, I just try to be authentic and real and provide as much value and everything I do. And that's tended to work out so far, as far as the real estate, um, the social media, the coaching, everything. It's just provide, lead with value. And then um, the rest will kind of figure itself out. You know, it's, it's interesting. I just read Rich Fetke's book, Kathy Fetke's husband. And he, he talks to this whole thing. It's spoiler alert. If somebody's listening at this point, so spoiler, alert, but at the end of it, like kind of the last thing is the guy's chasing this career and this promotion. And then he meets this other guy that owns all this real estate and lives this amazing life and does all this stuff for charities. And at the end of it, he winds up turning down this like huge promotion that he basically worked his whole life to get. 
And then the guy chastises him for him in front of everybody and is like, you'll never get another opportunity like this. I'm going to make sure of it. I'm going to make sure you stay where you are. And, da, da, da. and the guy's like, well, I quit. He's like, the stupidest thing you could ever do. Like, why would you ever quit this? I have to know, like, why would you ever turn down this promotion? Like, I can't wrap my head around that. And he goes, because I don't want to turn out like you did. Because the guy was somebody who, like, worked his whole life for these promotions, neglected his family, got divorced three times, had a drinking problem, this and that. And I think having said that, it's like, well, like, who do you really want to be? Like, who do you really want to mirror? And when you look at somebody that's acquired that sort of following on social media, athletic background, came from a normal background, and has amassed the type of passive income and the real estate track record that you guys have, that would be the person that I would say, that's the person I want to end up like. That's the person I want to be like. So it doesn't surprise me at all that you have that much, that many students in that short amount of time with that amount of success, because I think it's a testament to why you have such a big following on social media, man. Relatable, where people want to go and try literally the whole documentation of how you've gotten there is pretty incredible, man. So congratulations on that. And uh, I think it's only the the beginning. So, so, so is there like a threshold? They have to have a certain amount of deals, certain amount of something, or do you really take all shapes and sizes and bring them through that process? Yeah, pretty much all shapes and sizes. As long as you're getting something, you know, at a, at the right price, we can wholesale it. We can wholetail it, which is, you know, just basically cleaning up and listing it. We can fix it ourselves. We can keep it as a rental. We can try to create a finance it. So just trying to get good deals. And as long as it's a good deal, there's going to be a buyer somewhere. That's why we spend so much time, energy and, and money finding good cash buyers and developing relationships with the back end of it. So we can, you know, dispo a lot of what we come across. Cause in order to scale, you have to, you can't close on everything. You can't refine it. You can't um, rehab everything. So yeah, it, it really is. I mean, depending on the area, there are some areas we try to avoid just because, you know, we don't have a buyer's list there and it's the dangerous for our people to be out there. And, you know, St. Louis, it's a, it's got a pretty bad rap, but overall majority of the city is very nice, very clean, especially the county things. There's a couple rough areas. So other than that, you know, we're pretty much open to anything. We'll try to make any deal work. And we're just trying to provide the people that are selling us the houses with solutions. We lead with that and it tends to work. We're not always the highest price, but we usually will get the deal because we're going to try to provide value. As, as far as the students you're working with, though, is there, are, do you work with new students, beginner students, or do they already have to have some deals under their belt? Like, talk a little bit about your avatar for somebody listening that maybe wants your help as a mentee. Yeah, I think the avatar is pretty broad, but a majority of the people that come in are guys or gals that are somewhat successful in their jobs and they've, you know, into the real world, they're in their thirties or forties maybe, and they've done all right for themselves. And they have, you know, family and kids. And they're like, I don't want to do this for the next 30 years. What is the best option for me to get out of this sooner, to provide more stability, to provide more time freedom and all those kind of things. And those are the people that, you know, some of them have experience, some of them don't. I mean, so we had one guy who was a teacher. He was, he told me he was making 2,400 bucks a month as a teacher. And so it didn't take him much. He said to, to replace that with his income, but he, he joined and he had, I think he had two cash flowing rentals, one negative. So he's breaking even on his three rentals. And in the first 11 months, he got to 36 rentals. So about 33 oh. rentals in 11 months inside the mentorship, some packages, some this and that. And he quit his job as a teacher and the school is hiring him back to consult um, some of this, like do it like a consulting course on how to get into real estate. So a super cool story, but there obviously there's students that never buy anything because they don't ever attend anything, but there are some really cool stories. And the general avatar is just somebody that, is willing to, you know, bootstrap it and willing to work a little bit harder than they are now to get different results. I always end the opening presentation with what got you here won't get you there. 
There's a surgeon that was on the call earlier this week and a lot of successful people. But if you want something different, you got to do something different. So it's just somebody that wants more out of life and is willing to prioritize themselves and, and spend a little money to do that, honestly. So um, Avatar is pretty open. We've got old, young, everything you can imagine in there. It's just people that want more out of life and don't want to continue to do the same thing over and over again. And we just provide a grooved path for them to do that. I, still hard work. You're still going to fall. You're still going to stub your toe. You're still going to be inefficient, but we'll just help you get a little more efficient is kind of the plane. And most of the time it works out if someone's willing to, to go all in. Fantastic, man. So if people want to find out more about that, how do they connect with you on the mentoring side? Just shoot me a message on Instagram. Um, yeah, check out my social media stuff. If you're not uh, following me, just check me out, uh, you know, on social media. Make sure you kind of see what you like and all that kind of stuff. But then reach out to me and we'll, we'll I'll shoot you a training that kind of explains everything. And then at the end, you can hop on a call with my team or just just move along, whichever one is good with me. I, I, I don't want everybody that watches that training to sign up because I know not everybody that watched that training is going to, uh, going to go out there and do it. I'm to the point where, you know, we don't need everybody's money. I want people's money that are going to go out and take action and be successful. I love that, man. Fantastic. So one more thing before I let you go, because you touched on something that I didn't I didn't have in the notes, but you were saying how you met two billionaires and they really changed some things and made you think about things different. I got to meet my first billionaire. Well, that I knew about that I met uh, maybe about six months ago. And it was it was pretty incredible to sh shake somebody's hand and be like, man, you're a billionaire. And just almost like the first time you meet a millionaire, you're like, oh, this is just another guy. And it kind of shows you what you're capable of and that you're probably not thinking as big, but for your experience, man, what were some of those takeaways that you got from meeting your first billionaires? Yeah, it was really interesting. They were separate, completely conversations broken up by a few months and they were very, very similar. I, I realized that, you know, obviously there's, evil rich people in the world, but most people, including these guys that are wealthy, they're, they're not special, you know, because they're billionaires, they're, they're billionaires because they're special kind of thing. And, and, you know, one of them was uh Paul Hutchinson. He's actually had that sound of freedom movie. Um, have you, have you heard that one that I uh, have? That, yeah. Yeah. I haven't yeah, seen so, it yet, but I did hear. So uh, that, that gentleman that um, was like the, he's, he's one of the, the actors plays him. He was, you know, uh, a billionaire hedge fund manager kind of thing. And, you know, uh, 40 billion in assets under management kind of thing. And he, uh, he was, he was the movie partially was based on him. But anyways, I interviewed him about that several months before that movie came out. I don't know how I got connected with him. It, it was an incredible interview, but he just was like, you know, money is not good. It's not evil. It just flows through society and the people that provide value and the people that provide solutions money goes to them. The people that chase money will get a certain amount of money, but that will be it. And it'll be empty. And those kind of things that make sense, but hearing it, it just, it just completely like my mindset's grown so much in the past couple of years and in the past six months, even, but they're at a whole different level um, as far as just how they view money, how they view providing solutions, how they, how they view how the world works. And very similar, the other uh, billionaire, he spoke at that uh, mastermind that I'm in that we talked about earlier. Um, he's a uh, uh, priceline.com um, and, and, and uh, the, I forget his name, um, but he was, he was there and spoke and talked a little bit about providing solutions and, you know, how that there's more money than there's abundance. There's more money for everybody in the entire world to have enough money but not everybody has the right mindset to achieve that money. So just those kind of things and some tactical things about always be improving and always be trying to start new things and, and be a better person kind of thing is it's just, it seems that a lot of some wealthy people because people get jealous have like a um, you know, people think they're evil, but in general, they're really nice, high quality people and money just tends to find them at some point throughout their lives. So. That's incredible, man. I think I actually remember seeing the Priceline guy, I think Steve Trang had him up, or it was one of yeah. one of the guys that I had on there was posting Steve's some in, stuff. Uh, Steve's in Collective Genius, so I guarantee you he was probably there when, um, when you know, when uh, 
what's his name? But anyways, when he, when he spoke, yeah, he was there. That's cool, man. That's awesome stuff, man. Well, dude, you have been fantastic. Obviously everything you do, you bring your a game to, and this interview has been no different. You definitely brought your a game to this podcast today. And I really appreciate it, man. I've been following you for a long time. I was really excited to have you on. You've always been really cool and really responsive. I will fully admit, I actually didn't even realize how big your social media was. I just liked your content. And I, after I booked you and I started doing some research, I was like, holy crap. So that's awesome, man. I really appreciate you coming on and uh, just being a good guy, man, and putting good content out there and keeping it real and being relatable and approachable and helpful. And it really doesn't go unnoticed, man. Thank you for coming on. Any final thoughts before I let you go for the day? I don't think so. I appreciate you having me on and excited. And I would just say anybody, uh, anybody listening, one thing I always like to tell people uh, about, um, we'll just throw a random one out there about a lot of people have the fear of doing social media or starting into real estate or doing anything that fear kind of drives them. Right. Um, so the biggest thing for me to help anybody that has fear in whatever they're doing, whether it's starting a new job, investing in real estate, whatever you're trying to do, um, that fear just know that if you avoid fear, you avoid success. Fear is literally on the path to success. There's not one person that's successful that hasn't been scared, been fearful, and acted anyway. So you're not going to be successful, no chance, I'll speak in absolutes right now, unless you fail and you have fear. So just be okay with that, expect that, get up again, and just be okay with the fear. That's normal. Elon Musk, super rich guy everybody loves, most people love. He's been more scared and failed more times than you will ever fail. And that is why he's successful. Not because of his IQ, not because of whatever he has. He's successful because he was fearful and acted and because he failed and got up. Wise words, sir. Mike drop at the end. Anybody listening, definitely check the show notes for all the ways to connect. Thank you so much for coming on. Sam Prim, a.k.a. Sam Faster Freedom. Thank you for coming on the AGA Podcast. Have a fantastic day, sir. Appreciate it. I'm on the next couple of days, so by the time this comes out, it'll be out. All right, cool. Hey, so also, I know you, you're working on a, a book. You got some stuff coming out, right? Talk a little bit about that. About that. Yeah, so I got a book coming out. It's called Own Your Freedom. Um, I wrote it. I've, it actually took me about 18 months to write. I hired a copywriter and a, you know, a ghostwriter to help me with it. And we created 12 chapters. I, I was very involved in the process. And I got the final transcript. And I was like, I hate this. <laughs> this is nothing like I talk or sound or write. It just doesn't flow right. So I didn't fire them because I already paid them. I just said, all right, we're done. I'm going to self-publish this. And I took about the next six months to take that outline, run it through chat GPT, make it my own. So um, it's not going to be the Alex Ramosi book that everybody's buying. It's going to be the number one book in the world ever. But for $5 or 99 cents for the ebook, I promise it's worth your time and energy to get involved in. I spend a lot of time and energy. It goes through my story and all the lessons learned and some people that I've helped along the way that helped me. So uh, for, you know, 110 pages or whatever it is, it, it's a good read. And I would suggest anybody that um, wants to know a little bit more about me or just wants to maybe be inspired a little bit about what normal people can do to check out Own Your Freedom. It, it's on Amazon. The um, audio book is coming out here in a couple of months, but you can get the ebook or the the, the soft cover uh, pretty quickly there. So five bucks for the, for the soft cover. So I'm making about a buck a book. So it's not about the profit. Nice, man. I'll pick up like 20 of them and I'll just give them out to some people that I think could benefit from that for sure. So definitely uh, message me if you want a copy, I'll pick them up. And if you message me, I'll just give you a free copy. Appreciate it. Awesome, brother.